Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Uh, we talked last week about Christ Jesus' commitment to us, and now today, unfortunately, we have to talk about our commitment to him. Notice I started with him, though, because if I'd have started with us, we wouldn't want to hear the second message, probably. But he began his commitment toward us, and now we have to have a commitment toward him. And so the question is, what does it cost? What does a commitment to Christ cost? And if you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, you're going to start at verse 13, and you'll find that this is the one of the passages that talks about the little children uh, coming to Jesus and how the disciples got indignant and tried to send the kids away. And then we'll go into the uh, story of the rich young ruler or the rich young man, uh, depending on what version of Scripture you have. And so in chapter 10, verse 13, we find people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud and honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was but a boy. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, friends, uh, counting up the years, the weeks, and the messages, I, I suspect and believe I have uh, a little over 3,400 messages given in this church alone. That's a lot. <laughs> that means you've heard me a lot. And I don't know if you're smarter or dumber, but I know this. That's a lot of, that's a lot of messages. You may remember some of them. Most of them you probably don't. We tend to pick and choose the ones that, that hit us just right, the ones that mean something to us, the ones that were like, oh, my, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, 
I've got to fix that. And the ones we try to forget are the ones that bring conviction to us that we don't, we don't want to change. Those are the ones we try to forget. And we'll do it one of two ways. First of all, we'll think that what we heard wasn't meant for us, or we'll think that uh, our interpretation of the Scripture is not the same as the pastor or the one who's delivering it. Because none of us wants to believe that we can and should be better in Christ than we are. Because we like the things just the way they are, you know, thank you very much. Unless, of course, we need something from Christ, and then, of course, we're, we, we want more. Does that sound about right? Because that's who we are, that's humanity. And in this passage, we find that Mark goes from the children right to the adult. And, and I never saw it this way before, but it stuns me that this is all part of the same package that Jesus is trying to teach. And so I, I couldn't think of a better passage to use on this of our commitment toward him and the cost we have in doing it. And, and I realized very quickly here that we find that Jesus moves from the children right to a grown man, and he basically tells the grown man after he's talked to the kids, listen, you've got to become a child. A grown person has to become a child in order to commit to Jesus Christ. Have you even considered that before? Mark implies here that Jesus, when he, talked, when he was talking this way, was actually angry. And I, I know that people struggle with this because there are people out there that think Jesus never raised his voice. He never got angry. He never, never displayed that emotion whatsoever. He was always mild, sweet-tempered, calm, and just loving. No. Stu Weber writes a book called Tender Warrior, and he says Jesus was absolutely a warrior. And if you think he wasn't, then you have misjudged him. Jesus did get angry. I can prove it to you several places in Scripture where he was angry. And Mark implies that he was angry here. He was upset with the disciples for trying to keep the kids from him. And he was a little bit perturbed with this guy for trying to put him on the spot and try to get into the kingdom of heaven without having to put forth very much effort. And yet the Bible says, even so, he still loved him. He loved him because he knew that the guy wanted heaven, but he wasn't willing to part with what was keeping him from it. Now, that's interesting. Why did Jesus love him? Because he loves everyone. But friends, let me tell you this. Just because Jesus loves everyone does not mean he accepts your sinful behavior or activity. And just because he loves you doesn't mean you're going to get into heaven. You understand that? you got to grasp this right off the bat because there are some people like, what? Yep. Listen, this isn't my idea. I wish it were true, but it didn't. God is clear about these things. And Mark implies that Jesus was angry here, and I want to I uh, develop this idea. In fact, if we look at Mark's account here, it's, it's one of two times that he mentions the anger of Jesus, especially in Mark uh, 3, verse 5. You, it, it, the Bible even says, and Jesus was angry, <laughs> you know, right there. So when you think Jesus never got angry, well, then Mark must be lying to us. He said Jesus was angry. I think Jesus was angry. What do you think? Okay? So this doesn't mean, though, that Jesus always lost his temper. In fact, I don't think he really did. But he was obviously and rightly disturbed over the lack of spiritual belief as well as the lack of spiritual discernment that the people around him displayed. 
even within his disciples. In fact, at one time, he, he's so perturbed with them that he, that he just spins and turns on and says, oh, for goodness sake, and I'm paraphrasing, how much longer do I have to put up with you guys? And we all know it's in there. He's like, really? I mean, we use these words like, you know, when we're excited, really? I wonder if Jesus said, really? Are you kidding me? Come on. Like when the disciples saw the man born blind and said, well, you know, Lord, uh, who, who, who sinned so that he's blind? Jesus said, are you kidding me? You think because he's blind that somebody sinned and God made him that way? Well, you sure don't understand God, do you? Some things just happen. It's genetics. Stop confusing the things of humanity with the things of heaven. Problem with it is, we want to do that because we want to put a foot in both worlds. And so, no wonder we mix them. And most people's Christianity, I want you to see this word picture for a minute. Most people's Christianity, they've got one foot in the world, in its ideals, and they've got one foot, you know, which is humanity, and the other foot in the things of heaven, which is things of, of, God, of the godliness, and and, and they don't move very far from one to the other. Jesus says in Revelation, we well, really can't do that. I'd rather you be hot or cold. You know, don't pick one or the other. Uh, at least I respect that. But when you ride the fence here, and you've got one foot over here and one foot over here, well, it's no wonder, friends, that you're confused as to what Christianity really is. It's no wonder you're confused what right or wrong is, good or bad. What do you expect? And you know what? Most of us, that's exactly where we'll stay, right there, right on that fence. Because we want both worlds. We want what God offers us, but we're not willing to sacrifice what the world offers us to get it. We just can't let go. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes, about maybe why. And then I, I want to roll back to this story, and you'll remember that Jesus got really indignant when the, when the disciples kept the children away from him because he believed that the boys and girls, or they believed that the boys and girls were a bother to Jesus. They, he, they thought that they were a, a bother to the master because there were more important things to take care of, like all the adults. You see, the difference between adults and children is this. When children learn about Jesus, when they learn about what he offers, children don't wonder too much about whether they should follow him or not. The children are like, oh, well, I want that. And they do it. Adults are like, I don't know. We hear about it, we're like, well, what's the cost? And, you know, here's one of those times again. Jesus goes, really? I just offered you eternity. And you're worried about the cost in this life? What about his cost? We learned about, we learned about that last week. What, what, what was his cost? Well, everything. He gave everything for you, but you want to pick and choose what you want to offer to him. You ever notice that? Henceforth, the line, the fence. The children, they don't have that problem. 
And Jesus talks with the children. He blesses them. And in doing so, he reminds us by his actions that children are to be loved. They're to be protected. And absolutely, they're to be exposed to and invited toward faith in him, Jesus Christ. And you can tell in a family that does and one that doesn't. Can't you? Now, can't you? Of course you can. Friends, I believe in child evangelism. Our denomination believes in child evangelism. Our church believes in child evangelism. I know that because you just saw a bunch of them go over there for evangelism. And you know what? The kids believe in it too because they all want to go. Now, I'd like to, I'd like to think because they want to learn more about Jesus on their level, and it's not so much that they don't want to sit and listen to me. I, I don't know. But it's one of those things. But studies that Dr. Barna has done and Dr. Dobson have done suggest that a greater number of children who come to faith do so before the age of 18. So chances of you becoming a Christian as an adult are slimmer than they are if you're a child. Now, now that, that, that's significant, isn't it? That's significant. More to the point, these people in Jesus' time, simply couldn't get their heads and their hearts out of the kingdom of this world. They just couldn't do it. Out of the kingdom of humanity, this kingdom, by the way, which is ruled by God's arch enemy, Satan. That's who rules this world, right? I mean, you're aware that Satan is what rules this world, right? Who knows that? Does the Bible tell us that it does? 100%. He's the ruler of this age, our time, which is the church age, as well as this society. It doesn't matter which one it is. He rules it, all of them. Yeah? The Bible's clear about that. Now, you do remember that what the Bible says is true. I mean, it, it, it shocks and stuns me that I actually have to ask people if they believe that the church is, or that the Bible is, is true. Because I don't know in Christianity today that everybody wants to take the Bible in its entirety. And I think sometimes we question things in the Word of God that we ought not. And here's how we go around it. We'll say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not disputing what God said. I'm just questioning its interpretation. I'm not sure the, the church has interpreted it right. Well, of course you're going to question that because it doesn't say what you want it to say. We're good that way, you know. Well, you know. So anything we think, anything we believe, anything we do that is in any way in like manner with this society, the Satan rules, anything whatsoever, or is at all outside of the commandments of God, what God has said, whether we want to call it whatever, what we've misinterpreted or whatever, okay, you can spin it any way you want, but anything outside of the Word of God or the Spirit of God, well, we're thinking, believing, and feeling in a way that is like Satan, not God. And I know that there's going to be some people who hear this, whether, probably not in here maybe, but online maybe? Or maybe people, I don't know. Maybe somebody who watches it later or hears it later might say, uh, I don't know about that. Oh, that's not true. But, friends, this, this isn't 
This isn't open to opinion. God has said, either you believe in my word or you don't. Either you accept it or you don't. Either you live by it or you don't. And if you don't live by it entirely, do you live by it? No, not at all, actually. That's why I'd rather be, you're lukewarm. I, that, that's worthless to me. Be hot or cold. You see, in this world, Satan is the one who determines what is acceptable, what is right. And this is where the people of Jesus' day failed, and it's where we fail. We all failed, failed in the same place. Our spiritual discernment isn't where it needs to be, and neither was theirs. Now, we point fingers at them and say, well, if I was around when Jesus was, well, I'd be different. No, no, you wouldn't. You're no different than they are. It still takes a decision on your part. It doesn't matter if you live then or now. The Word of God is the same. The only difference is Jesus was speaking it, and now he's doing it through words. Either way, it's the same. And i got news for you. We have more than they did. A lot more, actually. And that's where we struggle today because there are people that want to cut the Bible off where the Gospels end and the Apostle Paul starts. They won't believe it. Hey, that's a cut it right off. problem with that is you cut off more than that. You cut off Jesus again, too. You can't go in and edit and take out this much in the New Testament and then bring Revelation back. It doesn't work. I mean, you know that Jesus wrote the Revelation, right? Mark, or he used uh, 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 the Apostle John to do that. But he, he wrote it. In fact, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah? Okay. So he appears to John in a vision and tells him. So you can't cut these things out. Well, why are we trying to do that then? That's unbelievable to me. You see, because our spiritual discernment isn't where it ought to be, this is why we have to surrender everything. That's what the kids do. That's what children do. They just give it, okay. Now, it doesn't mean they're not tempted to go back into certain things. It doesn't mean as they age, they might not start taking back control of certain things. I mean, right? You know why? Because they're becoming an adult. That's why. Adults have a problem that children don't. Adults really do not like authority. And we're teaching our children not to like it too. Because they naturally submit to it unless they're taught otherwise. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, I'm not a child psychologist, okay? My, my education was for adults. And let me tell you, I learned a lot in that. But child psychologists like Dobson and others will tell you that this is true. Children have a natural desire to submit to authority. And they only stop doing it when they're taught not to. <laughs> now you think about that for a minute. You know where they're learning it? In the home. In the home, wherever they live, that's where they're learning it. Wow. Now, if we don't surrender everything, then here's what's going to happen. We're going to use human discernment. And we're going to determine what is right 
rather than allowing God to determine what is right. And we've done that too, haven't we? Unfortunately, our feelings are what tend to dictate right and wrong to us today. It's our feelings. And i got news for you. Your feelings change like the wind. They're up and down. I've told you this at least 20 times. Your, your feelings are different today than they were yesterday and they're going to be different tomorrow because our feelings come and go. That's the way it is. And th in that regard, they cannot be a very good gauge to reality. But that's what we're using. And here's the thing. We're being taught by entities of people. I'm not going to get political today. But we're being taught to use our feelings as our discernment. And that's why when certain things happen and feelings elevate, now all these massive changes get ushered in and we didn't even think about them. Governor Matt Bevan of Kentucky, who lost the previous election, said something very profound one time. He said, the problem in our society, in America anyway, is, is systemic. It, it's got nothing to do with the things you think it is. It isn't guns. It isn't this or that. It isn't whatever we think it is. It's that the mores of, our, of, of the principles of our nation have changed. That's the problem. And if you think you're going to fix society with new legislation, new laws, you're kidding yourself. That's not the problem. You've got to go back and change the essence of who people are. And he uses as an example, he said, I remember when I was in school, kids brought guns to school. They had them hanging in their trucks. And nobody thought anything about it. Why? Because they didn't use them to shoot each other. But now, well, they're a ballgame. So what's changed? Is, is there more guns? Maybe. But the problem isn't the guns. It's the people. We've changed. We have devalued human life so much. Now, haven't we? Do I need to really expound on that? We've devalued human life so much that we're willing to kill over something that means nothing just because we were angry. And we'll kill people that we had no beef with. It was somebody else, but we're going to take it out on them, though. This is what gets us to the place. Does, does God teach us that? No, clearly not. But somebody does, and you tell me who that might be. If there are two entities, if there's a kingdom of heaven and there's a kingdom of this world, which is eventually going to be the kingdom of hell. If there is good and bad, if there's right and wrong, you tell me who's teaching what. It's real simple that way, isn't it? Kids accept that. They understand it. They see it. Boom, boom. Adults, for whatever reason, we want to make it gray. Because, again, we want to do this. We want to be on that line and pick and choose which one we're going to accept, which one we're going to use that day. You know what that is? It's called self-centeredness. That's all it is. Nothing more. And somebody is going to leave here today and say, I can't believe that pastor said I was self-centered. No, God did. <laughs> God did, not me. I agree with him, though. But you know why? Because I have to agree with him when it's me. This is where our failure is. It's where, it's where it happens. Our feelings dictate, just like they did for the people in Jesus' time. They simply couldn't completely believe in Jesus. They simply couldn't just surrender everything to him. Now, don't get me wrong. They loved what Jesus could do for them. They loved what Jesus could do for them, right? They simply didn't love what they had to do for him. 
Now, you, okay, you might want to write that down. They loved what Jesus could do for them, but they didn't love what they had to do for him. That's, I did, I, that, that, you can put my name next to it if you want to. I really made that up. That's true. You know, uh, and I don't care who quoted it. it. That should be used because that's where we are today. These people just couldn't surrender their wills, their thoughts, their beliefs, and their feelings to him so that they would know what God's ways were. They couldn't do it. And this is why we have to surrender. Because surrender causes us, friends, to become like a child. Remember the kids we said will accept authority? They desire to accept it because that's the, way, that's the nature of things. And they only stop doing it when they're taught not to? Yeah. Who do you think is teaching the adults who are teaching the children to not accept authority? Who's teaching the adults who are teaching the children to defy authority? Apple doesn't fall far, does it? You, you, no pun intended with the apple, by the way. But you can see. <laughs> you can see where this is going, can't you? Now, Jesus uh, also told his disciples that adults who wish to follow him had to become like children. He spoke of the faith of a child. Children don't have this intellectual barrier that many adults do when they question the meaning of God's word. That's one thing. Children naturally want to believe and trust. Now, I realize that adults want to grow in knowledge, and they want to be able to explain faith as well. I, I understand that. In fact, Peter said we should, get this, be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's within you, 1 Peter 3.15. You have to be ready. But much of our faith, friends, requires trusting God even when we don't know something. Or how? Or why? I've had to trust God when I didn't know how, why, when, you name it. Anybody? Have you had to trust God during those times? Well, that's what it is. That's called faith. And I've had to do it more often, get this, when I couldn't see. Yeah? Boy, I hate that. You know how I feel about that, friends? I, 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 when I've been on I-70 a couple of times. If you've ever been on I-70, you know you're taking your life in your hands when you do it. Yeah, see? And, and there have been times when it'll start to downpour and rain, and you can't see but about two feet in front, and you got your windshield, and, and you don't know what speed to go because if you go fast, you're going to slam into somebody. If you slow down, somebody's going to slam into you. And, you, and you're afraid to get off because you don't, you don't know where the shoulder ends. You don't know if somebody's already there, and you might not know until you see the taillights, if they've even got their lights on at this time. Who knows what? It could be anything. And I'm telling you, I don't like going around curves at night in the fog. I don't like it when the rainstorm comes. I don't, and, and I've plowed snow for NDOT, right, Matt? And listen, there's no kidding. In my routes, I usually have 641 uh, and 41 in front of the mall now. But, but my first couple years, I did... Uh, 159 South, and all the way to Martz, and then uh, over to, uh, what's the other little town down there, Matt? The other way. Yeah, uh, Colmont. So there were times heading down to Colmont, this is no kidding. I'm in a big truck, and I got the lights flashing, and I, it's snowing, it's all beat out, and I can't see where the road is. I could have been plowed on that road on 159, right in the middle of somebody's cornfield. I want no difference. <laughs> this is the truth. Am I wrong? 
It's the truth. You know, and listen, you want to talk about being worn out and your nerves being fried? That'll do it to you every time. It isn't that I don't know how to drive the truck, because I do. It isn't that I don't know how to work the plow, can't work, you know, work the salt. I know how to do all that. But every time I wish I had more lights and something that could help me see further, where I, but I couldn't. Nobody likes it, and you just got to have faith. If you're a Christian, that God will get you through. And if you're not, well, your faith kind of relies on you, doesn't it? And chance. I got news for you. I'd rather rely on God than chance all day. Anybody? And nobody's in here named Chance, are they? Uh, right, I wouldn't be sure. The chance I'm talking about is a gamble. You follow me? I can't stand this. Boy, was I lucky. <laughs> if you're a Christian, I don't think luck had anything to do with it. Right? So that's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at, friends. Edgar Stiles penned a, the hymn called Simply Trusting Every Day. We ought to do that sometime. It's a wonderful hymn. And uh, uh, we, we used to sing it years ago. I haven't heard it in a while. But if you bring it up, you listen to it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Most of you probably know it. But one of the verses says, a Christian should be singing if my way is clear and praying if the path is drear. <laughs> ah, drear, that's a word we don't use much anymore, but still. How true this is. But more than that, real faith, my friends, means that we continue to have faith even in times of struggle. We continue to believe that God is good and he has a good plan for our lives, regardless, friends, of our own circumstances, regardless of our circumstances. And in this way, the adult has to become like a child again so that God can grow you properly in the Christian faith. God has to take you back so that he, you can relearn the right way because you spend a lifetime learning the wrong way. What we want to do is take what we've already learned and hang on to it and then sort of replace certain things that we think looks good in a Christian faith and say, voila! God says, well, no, because all those things that you're hanging on to don't belong there. All the ways you think are thinking in the ways of this world, what you know. I'm trying to teach you what it really is. You've got to delete all that stuff, wipe it to do it. Sometimes, if you bring your computer to me, I can fix Windows and keep it. Sometimes I have to wipe it and start all over again. I got news for you. Every time I wipe it, it will always be better than if I keep Windows and just modify it. Every time. Every time. Now, I'm not saying that your brains are like a computer hard drive. But your life will reflect what your operating system is. And your operating system is either this world or it's the one that's to come. One of them is good, one of them is bad. One of them is right, one of them is wrong. One of them is going to give you eternity, and the other one is going to give you hell. You decide. It's real simple. People say it's not that simple. It is that simple. Which one is your life built upon? It can't be a mixture. That does not work. God says it doesn't. The devil says, oh, sure, that's okay. Because he knows any mixture belongs to him. But God says, mm-mm. Mm-mm, that's all got to go. It's all me or it's nothing. Now, how many of you know that to be true? Yeah. It, God had to kick some things out, didn't he? And some of them you kind of liked. That's because that's the way it is. Now, 
if God doesn't do this, if he doesn't kick those things out, if he doesn't start again and rebuild you, then you're going to choose your own path. You're going to choose your own beliefs. You're going you're to choose your own uh, ideology concerning what faith and Christianity is. And you know what? It'll be wrong. Oh, there's people doing it. And it looks kind of right. But it isn't. And it doesn't take much convincing for us to see that this has happened at a rampant pace in the modern church today. And that's what's wrong with it. Secondly, not only does a grown adult become a child, but the rich have to become poor. And that might, this might be harder for some of us. But we sure do like our stuff and our money, don't we? We sure do. Some of you say, well, I ain't got any, so what difference does it make? You see, many, I think, have had this false belief of good. This false belief of being good. Because many of us have learned from our earliest days about this man, you know, this young man who approaches Jesus, the one we call the rich young ruler, depending on what verse of Scripture you have. And he was attracted to Jesus, and he was attracted to the hope of eternal life. He was attracted again to what Jesus could give him or what he could gain through Christ. And he believed that since he was this good man, that Jesus would accept him as a disciple. Now, some scholars have suggested that when Jesus reminds this man of half of the Ten Commandments, he did so intentionally. He only reminds the man of the human interaction of the commandments, and he purposely leaves out the godly interaction, and as he does so, it, it, it could possibly indicate that the man treated others fairly, people, but he fell very short in his treatment of God. Now, that's, that's fascinating to me. The brilliance of the Christ fascinates me here. Why didn't he start at, at the first commandment? Because he wouldn't have had a lesson there, would he? And plus, it wasn't true anyway. The guy wasn't doing the first part of the commandments. He's only doing the second part as related to people, but not to God. I wonder how often we do that. Now, whether this is true or not, whether he loved others fairly but fell short in his love of God, we don't know, but he claimed to follow this righteous life. And Jesus said, yeah, but it's not enough. What you're, some of the things you're doing are good. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. And, I, and, and, you know, sometimes he tells me the same thing. I say, God, but what about, you know, he says, but listen, I'm not telling you you're all bad. You do some good things. Matter of fact, you even do a lot of good things. But two problems here. One, some of the things you're doing, I didn't tell you to do. You told you to do it because it made you feel good about doing it. And you automatically assumed because you did it that you're Christ-like. Being Christ-like compels you to do certain things. But doing them doesn't make you Christ-like. There's a difference. Humans are fascinated with making the rules. We're fascinated with making the rules. Everybody wants to make the rules. And you know how we'll do it? We will make the rules that we want to follow. And we don't care if everybody else wants to follow them or not. They're the ones that suit us, so we'll do it. It's just like when we uh, try to plan an event. 
We'll set a date and a time that suits us, and we won't necessarily care if other people can make it or not. We'd like them to, and depending on, on how important they are to us in the hierarchy, we'll try to get the ones on board, and we'll find a date that suits us and them, and everybody else, well, they'll just have to come or they won't. That's how we operate in rules, too. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. You can say it's good, you can say it's bad. I'm simply saying that's how we operate in humanity. And you know what? We even do that with God. <laughs> no, don't, don't go with me here. I know this is hard to take in, but we, 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 we do this. We say something like, look, God, I, you know, I'm a good person. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that. I'm a good person. I'll bet you you said it. If you haven't said it, you thought it. And you know, God, I really, I really believe that I am. And you know what? God says, I know. I know you really believe that. Because you really do. You really believe you're a good person. And maybe you are. But your belief might be misguided. And let me, let me explain it. Jesus was really, really clear about this thing, good. Put it in quotes. Good. He asked the man, why do you call me good? When only the Father is good. The Father is the only one that's good. Why does he say that? Well, simply because humans don't have the right to decide nor determine what good actually is. We're doing it. We've demanded it because we want to make the rules, you know. But only God can determine and decide what's good. It's based on him. You, you follow this so far? This is so easy, a caveman could get it, which means all of you can get it. Because this is, we make it harder than, than it is. God is the only one that decides what's good. We don't have the authority to decide that. And so if that's true, if humans don't have the authority to determine what good actually is, then how do we know that we're actually good then? Answer, we don't. We don't. We can't. God determines good. He always has. He's always going to. So you need to start right there. And Jesus was clear that even though the man did everything he thought was good, God didn't think so. And I wonder in my life and in your life and anybody else, if I've been thinking I'm good and what I'm doing is good, what's God going to say? Because I, I want to get this one right. Anybody? I want to know that what I'm doing, God says is good. Not what I say is good. Not what the church says is good. Not what the pastor says is good. Not what society says is good. Because good to us is what suits us or what's popular. That's good. And God says that as the days get to the end, you're going to be in the minority. And what, you, what society says is good isn't going to be good for you. You're going to be in the minority. So if you're thinking popularity is going to do it, you are sorely mistaken. God didn't think the man was that good. More was required. These, there were things in the man's life that kept him from being good the way that God said was good. In other words, stop using your own standards or the standards of others to determine what's good. The Word of God tells us what's good. Nothing more. And here's the thing, friends. I'm going to tell you straight up. Unless you're in this manuscript every single day, Every single day, and in it a lot, mind you. I promise you, this is what's going to happen. 
What's good is going to come from right here, not here. Every time. And I can tell when I talk to somebody, no matter how attached to the church they are or not, I can tell whether they're in here or if they're in here. I can tell in 30 seconds or less. I can tell by attitude. I can tell what, with what they believe and what their convictions are. I can tell right now. And if not that, how they respond to things. I can tell right now. Can't you? Doesn't take much, does it? So that's the point. The young man had to sell his possessions and become poor. He had to surrender everything about himself and allow God to do the work in him that was necessary. In other words, everybody has to sell out everything to Christ. Now, the instruction that Jesus gave this young man to sell everything isn't included in most other passages about discipleship in the Gospels. So we sort of lean toward the idea that Jesus saw money as the obstacle in this man's life of faith. That doesn't mean money is an obstacle to everyone. It tends to be a lot, but it isn't always. Because I know people with money, and they have no problem giving it. They, they are always willing to give it. So money's not an obstacle to them. So if you ask God why they have it and you don't, maybe take a look at your willingness to give it. Right? But that's a sermon for another day, probably. Don't know if I ever get that one in, but anyway. Sadly, this man, friends, and I, I think a lot of us kind of identify with this guy. He wasn't willing to give his life in full obedience, and that's where we fail. It might not have, it might not because we have money or not. It really comes down to obedience, not money. His stuff was more important to him than what he asked Jesus for, which is becoming a disciple. He asked Jesus if he could become a disciple, what I have to do to get it. And then Jesus tells him. Because like most people today, he was interested in the benefits of being saved but not willing to accept his own cross in life to receive it. You see that? He was interested in the benefits of salvation, but he was absolutely not willing to accept his own cross in his life to get it. Now, the oxymoron often spoken about faith is that faith is free, and at the same time, it's awful costly. You ever notice that? Faith is free, but it's awful costly. Salvation is free since Jesus paid it all, but it's costly since we have to be willing to make Jesus Lord of everything in our lives. And let's face it, we don't really, really don't want to do that. And you're going to pick and choose which day you want to do it when you don't. And you're going to pick some things you'll do and others you won't. And sometimes it depends on the day, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's on your attitude, you know. And some days, God will come back. You, the next day, you're like, yeah, I wasn't willing to give that up yesterday, but today, I, I don't care about it. You see? And his lordship means that we willingly accept the new administrator in our lives, basically. We're, we're no longer running it. And that, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Anybody in here struggle with control? Anybody in here struggle with giving up control? Especially if it pertains to you? One? No, hold on. Let me start counting. One, two, three, four, five. And the rest of you don't. 
there might be another message for you. It's called reality. <laughs> Come into the 21st century here, kids, because, yeah. Now, Luke records a similar ideal in, in, in Luke 14, 33. He says, in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. And see, I don't, I don't think it's just stuff that Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about the control that we exert. I think it's the self-protection that we exert. I, I think it's, right? I think it's all of those things. Rick Warren was correct. It's not about you. And it is about us when we do that. And we'll say it's not. But it is. Isn't it time to just admit it? Christian up. You remember that? I used to tell you that. Christian up. And say, yeah, it is about me. And some people are going to say, it is about me, but I want to change it. Others are going to say, it is about me, and I have no interest in changing it. And still somebody else is going to say, I might have interest in changing it, but only if so certain people do certain things. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that. Aren't you glad that God loved you no matter what? Right? So we're, we're, this, this is what we're telling God, okay? Well, I'll love you if you love me this much. Or I'll, in a relationship, you know, I'll, I'll do what you told me to do and put the other above myself, but only if they do these things. See, we're conditional. God's unconditional. And any time you put conditions on what you're willing to do in God's kingdom as it relates to yourself, then you haven't surrendered. You haven't surrendered. It doesn't matter if it's toward other people, toward him, toward a situation. Because the person that has surrendered will sell out and they'll just serve and they won't care what other people do or don't do. They won't care what position they have. They won't care what authority they have. They won't care if it goes their way or not. They don't care. All they want to do is serve him. And if they're part of that, then that's, that's where the joy comes from. And if you won't do that, you haven't surrendered. You can, you can time it with an egg timer. Right now. Every one of us can. Now. Some of you may be well off financially. Others of you may have nothing. And probably most of us are somewhere in between. The fact is, when you give up whatever you have, all of it, God makes you rich beyond your wildest dreams and your wildest imagination. All of us dream about what we would do if we had lots of money. Tell me who's done it lately, this morning. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> right? Right? Why not turn those dreams into reality by claiming eternity in Jesus Christ? and receiving the kingdom of God as heirs to eternal life with God forever. You see, there, there are, those are much better dreams because they actually come true. The others are mostly pipe dreams that will probably never come to fruition. That's why Joshua told the Israelites, choose today who you're going to serve. And it's also why he told them, but as for me and my house, well, we're going to serve the, the Lord. That's good advice. So the question is, who wants to become poor today to receive the riches in heaven 
because when you first walked in here, none of you thought, I want to become poor today. But if God's convicted you, maybe that's exactly what you're going to do. Lastly, to people today, the cost seems like a lot. And to many, the cost is rather deceptive. Let me explain that. You see, the cost to us is really, if you think about it, only an inconvenience. That's really all this cost is. God's, God's not asking any of us to, you know, forfeit our physical life or our every ounce of money we have. He might, but he, at this point, as far as I know, he hasn't done that. So anything he asks of us is merely an inconvenience. We just don't like it. Honestly, what do you really lose in selling out your life and surrendering to Christ completely? What do you really lose? Not that much. But whatever you lose is way worth it because you gain everything. It may not seem like it. And maybe God's got to convince you, and you might have to experience it for a while to get it. But it's true. You see, you only really have to give up control of the things that you want to do and the timing of them. That's really all you're giving up. Do you get this? All you're really sacrificing is your own personal desire, your preference, what you want. That's really all you're doing. Why is that so hard for us to turn loose? Again, because it is about you. If it wasn't, you wouldn't. If it wasn't about you, you wouldn't think a thing about it. You'd give it up. When you don't care about yourself, it changes you. But when you absolutely care about your needs, your feelings, your thoughts, your control, your desire, then, friends, there's an awful lot of you in there. And it is about you. Well, it's no wonder it can't be about him because it's about you. Hey, friends, I got news for you. If it's a little bit about you, it's not about him. If it's this much about you, it's not about him. So the question is, who do you want it to be about? If you're going to do one of two things, you're going to be the person that surrenders and says it's about God, and that's it. Or you're going to be this, this young man, and you're going to say, I want to be a disciple. I want heaven. I, but, but, oh, but I, I, but see, this, 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 I've got to hang on to this. this I'm, I've given up everything, God, but I'm hanging on to this. And, I, and God's asking you, is that really worth it to you? Is that it? You see, you may have to stop doing certain things that God says you ought not do. Maybe, you gotta, maybe God's got to change an attitude in you. You might have to <laughs> do some things that you don't want to do. Can't do things you want to and do things you don't want to. God seems to reverse those a lot of times. You may have to give up some of your money. You might have to give up some of your time, maybe even some of your talents. You may have to use them differently. Perhaps that's all. But really, all of that is only an inconvenience. Do you hear me? Doing those things is only really an inconvenience. It's not life-shattering. And the return on investment makes the cost negligible. When you see what you receive from this investment in God's kingdom, you immediately realize that his investment in you is far greater than anything you would ever invest. What he did, 
blows what you do out of the water. But what you receive from him is greater than anything you could ever receive or even dream about in this world. You'll never reach it in your own strength. So to many, the cost is deceptive, and you can see why. To even more, the cost simply isn't worth it. This blows my mind. It, I, it stuns me that people say it. Many people still don't believe that the cost is worth it. They just cannot give up control. They will not, even if it's controlled, this one little thing. They can't do it. They're so worried somebody's going to get over on them. Really? Friends, how often a day are you trying to get over on Jesus? Really now? Be honest. And then claim you're not. Some people just can't stop some of the things that God forbids. They can't stop wanting to think and feel in a certain way that God forbids. And they just don't like God telling them what to do. And yet, how anyone thinks that what is returned to us isn't worth it blows the mind of anybody who has received the value of what God offers. So as our worship team comes, how much does it cost? Scotty? How much does it cost? It's a good question and an appropriate one. And those friends who are considering following Christ can rightly ask and can rightly learn in Scripture the cost of discipleship. We're going to have to lay aside the wisdom of humanity since the world did not know God through wisdom, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians. We then must follow Christ in childlike faith. Surrender to Him our lives, our hearts, our possessions, whatever we think are ours. Because your human experience and wisdom will never allow you to understand the things of God. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.